0: Good evening and welcome once again to our Bible study series, Out of Bondage into Abundance. Uh, We are moving right along in part six of seven parts in this Bible study. And without a whole lot of introduction, I want to get right into it tonight. But we're looking at the journey of Israel coming out of Egypt and going into the promised land as a picture of our spiritual journey, coming out of bondage to sin and moving into the freedom, the fullness, the abundance that Jesus promised us. An abundant life, more abundant life. And the land flowing with milk and honey that the Israelites were to inherit is a picture of the promises of God. God has given us an exceeding great and precious inheritance, and it's based on His promises. We have many, many promises in the Word of God, and through faith and patience, the Bible says, we are inheriting those promises. But, we've come to part six in this series, and this is a very critical part of the whole study. And we've entitled this sixth part, Conquering Seven Nations. And one Minor detail, and I'm being facetious when I say minor, one minor detail that God had shared with them from time to time is that when they did cross the River Jordan into the Promised Land, they were going to meet up with seven nations that were already dwelling there. The Promised Land was their home. Furthermore, When God listed those seven nations in a number of places, for instance, in Deuteronomy 7, they're all listed. The Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And here's one key detail that God adds. Seven nations larger and stronger than you are. Now that's not very encouraging, and I want to mention as we're moving along through this study, because we can get kind of bogged down looking at each one of these evil nations, I want to keep reminding us that God told them ahead of time, don't worry about it, I'm going to go before you, and I'm going to drive them out, I'm going to sting them with my hornets, I'm going to devour them with fire, you don't need to worry about them. I will destroy them, and even though they are a people strong and tall, you are more than conquerors. I will go ahead of you like a devouring fire, destroy them, subdue them, drive them out, and annihilate them quickly. So, uh one of keep reminding us that, yes, we have enemies. They're powerful enemies. And the enemy we're we're going to look at tonight can literally paralyze us, can make us, render us totally uh, inoperative in the purpose and kingdom of God. So this is something we need to really look at carefully. But I want to remind us up front, we are more than conquerors God has already stripped all of these enemies of their defenses and we can and will conquer each and every one of them. I want to remind any new listeners that we might have, all of the notes, all of the previous recordings for this entire series are available through our website and that's new-life-ministries.org and again the Title of this entire study is Out of Bondage into Abundance. And we've now completed two of the seven nations. We started with the Canaanites because five of the other six evil nations are descendants of the Canaanites. The Canaanites we saw represent worldliness, the love of the world, the love of money the love of material pleasure, and Paul told Timothy, the love of money is the root of all other evil. So, by no coincidence, the Canaanites are essentially the root of all these other evil nations. We look secondly at the Amorites. They speak about pride. They lived in the high places, and their very name speaks about prominence, promotion, publicity, They always wanted to be out in front, on top, number one. And we looked at seven steps to overcoming pride. Humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself, and humble yourself. Those are the only steps I know to overcoming pride. Keep on humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now, moving right along. If you're following in the notes, we've come to page 110, and the third nation we want to look at tonight, the Hittites. The Hittites. The literal meaning of the name coming from the Hebrew word is fear, terror, to scare, or to make afraid. And as you can probably guess, This nation has a very clear spiritual meaning for us. It represents fear and unbelief and other things that go along with that. Dismay, discouragement. Um, But primarily, we're going to look at it at face value. Fear. The very name of this nation means to make afraid or to scare. A scripture we've looked at previously that I find very interesting is a verse in Ezekiel chapter 16 where God is rebuking the Israelites for their fallen, backslidden condition. And he does it in a very interesting way. In Ezekiel 16, verses 2 and 3, uh, we read, Son of man, confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices, and say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem, your ancestry and birth were in the land of the Canaanites, that's the first nation we looked at, your father was an Amorite, that's the second nation we looked at, and your mother was a Hittite. Now, if you're understanding what each one of these nations represents, and surely the Israelites understood what God was saying to them. Basically, you're supposed to be my people, but you're more like these enemy nations that I commanded you to destroy and to drive out. Your ancestry and birth were in the land of the Canaanites, and your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. Your whole Birth, your whole DNA, your whole existence seems to be rooted in the love of money, pride, and fear. What a rebuke. What a terrible rebuke God was giving these people. And surely you and I don't want the Lord to be saying the same thing about us that the very ancestry of our life is rooted in the love of money. And the two spirits that seem to have begotten us are a spirit of pride and a spirit of fear. These are enemies. These are evil nations. And very clearly, God wanted them conquered, destroyed, and annihilated. And this third nation we're going to look at tonight is very important for a number of reasons. In the list of the seven nations that I just referred to in Deuteronomy 7, it's interesting that in that list and several other of the lists, the Hittites are listed first. Now we studied the Canaanites first because they represent uh, kind of the root of all these other nations. But interestingly, in Deuteronomy 7, they're listed first. And There are some reasons for that, I believe. If we look in Genesis 3 at Adam and Eve's fall, the original sin of man, the very first consequence of Adam's sin was fear. That's that's interesting. The very first consequence, before they were thrown out of the garden, before God brought curses upon satan and upon adam and eve the very first consequence that they felt and experienced was fear genesis 3 verses 8 to 10 then the man and his wife of course this is after they've disobeyed and eaten the fruit from the knowledge of the uh, of the from the tree of knowledge of good and evil the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This was obviously something they had experienced many times previous, and I can only assume that it brought joy to their hearts when they heard the sound of the Lord coming into their vicinity. But this time's different. Man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. By his own confession, Adam says, I am now afraid, therefore I hid. How often in scripture we find God repeating the same words in one form or another, do not fear, do not be afraid. He must have known this was going to be a very common human problem. Because of what happened in the fall. Something profound happened inside of Adam and Eve. Something broke their confidence. Something uh, got to the very foundation of their faith in God. And now, suddenly, they're afraid. And we're going to see in a couple of different scriptures, fear is a result of man's fall and it is also a powerful tool that the devil tries to use in our lives in hebrews 2 verses 4 and f- i'm sorry 14 and 15 hebrews 2 verses 14 and 15 we can see here that fear is a tool of the devil. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, speaking about Christ, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him, the devil, who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now, the Bible is very clear that sin brought death. Because of Adam's sin, he brought death upon all of mankind. And along with death, we learn here, it brought the fear of that death. And I want you to follow these words carefully, Jesus came to break this bondage, to set us free from the power of the devil. What exactly is that power? It says, by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives, underline that, All their lives were held in slavery, some Bibles say bondage, by their fear of death. The minute Adam and Eve sinned, they died. They died spiritually immediately. Physical death eventually came later on. But that spiritual death separated them from God. And it brought a terrible emptiness. It it broke something inside of man's spirit. And from that moment on, he would be afraid. He would be in bondage, ultimately, to this thing called the fear of death. In slavery, because of the fear of death. In another scripture, we find that fear is actually a torment. It torments people. And I would even go on to say it paralyzes. It, it actually paralyzes us in such a way that we can no longer operate in the way that God called us to operate. 1 John 4.18 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And this gives us a hint of what we're going to look at at the end of this section. How do we overcome fear? Well, here's one of the clues. Love, perfect love, casts out fear. But notice what he goes on to say. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So fear brings bondage, fear brings torment, fear is something that paralyzes and prevents us from really being able to serve God and do his will, do what he's called us to do and i think we'll see that in this next verse luke chapter excuse me luke chapter 1 verses 74 and 75 the prophecy that zechariah gave concerning the birth of christ what was the messiah's mission why was he coming well it says here he was coming to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. So, Hebrews 2 said, All of our days we were held in slavery by the fear of death. Jesus comes and by His death breaks the power of Satan, Breaks the power of the fear of death. He has the keys of hell and death now. And his mission for you and for me, and I love this scripture, is to rescue us, King James says, to deliver us out of the hands of all of our enemies, to enable us, I like that, to enable us to serve him without fear. We are not able to serve God. We don't have what it takes within us to serve God. We have to be enabled. That's what grace, that's what anointing, that's what the power of the Holy Spirit is all about. He comes to enable us to serve God. Supernaturally equips us, enables us, but it's very specific here, the prophecy concerning Christ's mission. Enable us to serve Him without fear. You and I will never be able to serve God if we're bound, paralyzed, controlled by fear. God wants to make us fearless. Fearless in our service of Him. The righteous are bold as lions. Lions do not know what fear is. God wants to make us like lions, boldly serving Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all of our days. What happened to Adam when he sinned? He immediately inherited a guilty conscience. You can't have faith in a guilty conscience. Your confidence is shaken. You're, you're suddenly overwhelmed with feelings of inferiority fear, insufficiency, and all of that was a part of Adam's fall. We inherited all that from him. Christ came to reverse that, to rescue us from all of our enemies, save us from sin, and enable us to serve God without any fear. Now, fear is an emotion. It's a very powerful emotion. But the Bible portrays fear as something beyond just a bad feeling or a bad emotion. And this is something we need to understand very clearly because if you don't understand this you will never be able to fully conquer fear and unbelief in your life. Fear and unbelief are not just bad feelings or negative emotions. The Bible refers to them as evil and sinful. Uh Uh-oh. It's not just a bad feeling. It's sin. Yes. It's sin no different than going out and getting drunk, lying, stealing, killing, or blaspheming. When we sin in those other areas, I think we all understand what we need to do. We need to repent. We need to go to God, and we need to receive cleansing through the blood of Jesus. This is no different. When you and I find ourselves fearful, full of unbelief, doubting, talking negative things, oh, I don't think I'm ever going to make it, nothing good is ever going to happen to me, Oh, all my kids are going to go to hell. And we go on and on with negative confessions like that. Basically, we're sinning with our mouth. No different than if we were using four-letter words and cursing out people. Look at these next few verses, and I think you'll understand. Hebrews 3, verse 12, I want to read it from the New King James. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Strong words. An evil heart of unbelief. What happens if you have an evil heart of unbelief? Why is it called evil? Because it will cause you to depart from the living God. We draw near to God through faith. We depart from God when we give room to an evil heart of unbelief. NIV translates it sinful heart. Evil or sinful heart of unbelief. We need to be very clear about this. Unbelief, doubt, and fear are sins. They're evil, Their sins, no doubt, than adultery, or perversion, or lying, and they need to be treated accordingly. These are dangerous things that are going to take us away from the Lord, cause us to depart from the living God. The next verse is even clearer. Romans 14 and verse 23. Whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. Paul is teaching that we even need to eat in faith. And here's the punchline. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. So, This thing of fear and doubt and unbelief, it's not just a problem. It's not just a bad feeling or a negative emotion. We need to call it what it is. It's sin. And if we call it what it is, then we can begin to understand how to overcome it. And, of course, the only way to overcome sin is to repent. Turn away from it. And we need to change our mindset. We need to change the way we think about these things. Finally, and this was a frequent occurrence in Jesus' day-to-day interaction with his disciples, one of the main focuses of Jesus' three and a half years with his disciples was dealing with their faith or, more specifically, their lack of it. For instance, one of many instances I'll pick out. Matthew 8, verse 26, when they were in the storm. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Note the connection there. Little faith, afraid. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up. And rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. When Jesus found the disciples lacking in faith, he rebuked them. He rebuked them no different than he would rebuke an adulterer or a thief or a tax collector. For instance, this is not in the outline, but in Mark chapter 16, after Jesus had risen from the dead, and the disciples were all cowering in fear and full of doubt and unbelief, when Jesus finally appears to them, notice how he treats them. In Mark 16, starting with verse 14, you can read the whole chapter to get the context. But it says, Later Jesus appeared to the leaven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He didn't just give them a little pep talk and say, come on guys, you shouldn't be down in the mouth like this, come on, get encouraged. No, he rebuked them for their lack of faith. And the lack of faith led to their fear. Notice that, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Now, I don't want to go into all the psychology of fear tonight, but very often, when we're afraid, we have sort of a a warped or a perverted kind of a faith. We're believing for negative things. We believe we're going to die. We believe we're going to get into a car accident. We believe that we're never going to get a job. Fear is a negative kind of faith. We're believing for the worst. And the enemy loves that. He torments people with those thoughts of doom and gloom, and I'm going to get cancer, I'm going to get sick, I'm never going to get better, uh, my kids are never going to get saved, uh, and on and on and on it goes. We're believing something, but we're believing the wrong thing. And what we're really doing is calling God a liar when we're doubting his word. And that's why it's considered sin. Everything that does not come from faith, does not spring from the foundation of faith, is sin. Now, as I mentioned, in Deuteronomy 7 verse 1, the Hittites were the very first nation listed in that list. Of the seven nations and it's interesting in Revelation chapter 21 the fearful and the unbelieving are the first in the list of those who will be cast into the lake of fire follow along with me here this this is not going to be pleasant tonight but we need to deal with this we need to understand the nature of of this enemy. Revelation 21 verses 7 and 8. We often talk about being overcomers. Praise God, He's called us to be overcomers. Well, if you're going to be an overcomer, you need to overcome some stuff, including these seven nations. Love of money, love of the world, pride, and fear. Notice what it says. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But, and here's the first one in the list, the cowardly and the unbelieving. The cowardly and the unbelieving. King James says fearful and unbelieving. But the cowardly and unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, I don't think any of us have a problem with any of the other sins that are listed here. I think we all understand that the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the, those who are involved in magic arts, witchcraft, the occult, idol worshippers, liars, I, I don't think we all uh, have too much problem understanding all those folks are going to hell if they don't repent. But this first one, uh, we don't really believe that they belong in this list. And we kind of make excuses for our fears, our unbelief, our doubt. Oh, pastor, I I have a problem. I, you know, I, I I'm kind of weak in that area. I I tend to doubt a lot. I get I get scared easily, and I, I really don't have much faith. And we we kind of excuse this. Well, suppose we went around saying, well, pastor, you know, I'm an adulterer. And I'm living in a in a perverse, you know, homosexual relationship. And I like to do witchcraft and Ouija boards and, and black magic. And I love to bow down to statues and worship uh, idols. And I lie all the time. But, you know, I'm kind of weak in those areas. So I, I think I'm going to be okay in the end. No, we would never accept that. Why do we make kind of an exception for this first thing in the list and I'm lumping these together because they're so closely related cowardly and unbelieving or fearful and unbelieving they're kind of cousins fearful and unbelieving the fearful and the unbelieving are going to the lake of fire along with the idolaters along with all liars. So, this is a strong confirmation of what we've been discussing in these other verses. Fear and unbelief are not a problem, they are sin. And we need to deal with them no differently than we do with other sins in our lives. We need to repent, we need to receive cleansing through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we need to earnestly seek God for victory over these things. The Hittites had to be conquered. Fear had to be driven out of the promised land. And fear, cowardice, insecurity, unbelief, um, it has many, many different names, but it's basically one demon. It's fear. Has to be conquered in our lives. By the way, this verse 8 in Revelation 21 translated cowardly in the NIV and fearful in the King James, it comes from a Greek word which means fearful, dread, timid, or faithless. Notice the connection between fearful and less. That's why it's translated fearful and unbelieving. It's really one thing. Fearful and unbelieving. No faith full of fear. Now, we could go on and on talking about fear, but I want to get into how do we overcome it. We all have had it. We all know what it is to be discouraged, to be doubting, to be uh, f- having unbelief questioning God where are you Lord why aren't you answering my prayers nothing good ever seems to be happening I think we all know what it is to get into that kind of a pattern I'd rather spend time tonight beginning to talk about and it will probably take us next week also to complete this how do we overcome this thing how to overcome fear and we've been Hearing a lot about this in recent days in in our church, I know in our prayer meetings we've been talking about this a lot, and even in some of our other meetings, we need to be bold in these last days. We can't cower before the devil, before darkness, before this culture in which we live. We need to stand up, we need to be bold, we need to be fearless, we need to be like lions. The righteous are bold as lions. We need a backbone. We need to boldly proclaim God's word. How are we going to get there? How are we going to overcome fear and unbelief? I'm going to try to boil this down to three main areas. How to overcome fear. Number one, it's all about trusting God and knowing that he is with you that He is there to help you. Number two, we're going to talk about the importance of fearing God. Yes, we should have fear, but fear God, not man or circumstances. And thirdly, we already saw this in 1 John, the ultimate cure for fear is God's love. Know how much He loves you, walk in love, trust in His love, be filled with the love of God, and it'll drive out fear. So, let's look at each one of these in some more detail. How to overcome fear. Number, number one, trust God and His presence. Know that He is with you, and that He is always going to help you. He's going to fight your battles. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. That goes a long way toward helping us to overcome fear. Just knowing that the Lord is with us. And this is a frequent refrain found in the Word of God where God says those very words. Let's look at a couple of instances. Uh, Isaiah chapter 41 from verse 10 to verse 14. God is speaking to His people, and He says, So do not fear, for, there's a reason for it, for I am with you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Period. That's, in a nutshell, that's the solution. You don't have to be afraid of anything if you know that God is with you. He goes on to say, Do not be dismayed or discouraged. Down. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. I will help you. Do not be afraid, you worm Jacob, little Israel. Do not fear, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Repeatedly, do not fear. Do not be afraid. And, he always gives the same basic reasons. Because I am with you. Because I'm going to be there to strengthen you, to help you, to fight for you, to defend you. I will be there for you. And we need to spend Many hours meditating on that until it really gets deep down into our spirit. So the next time we're in a fearful situation, we can draw on that reserve. Wait a minute, God is with me in this thing. God is going to help me through this. And notice, God doesn't say, do not fear because nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. That's not what he says. Quite the contrary. He knew they were going to have oppositions. Verse 11, all who rage against you, people are going to rage against you. If you stand for God, if you preach his word, especially in these last days, man, people are going to chew you up. They're not going to like you. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced He did not say, fear not, nobody's ever going to oppose you. No. He he says, those who oppose you, they're going to oppose you. They will be as nothing and perish. He did not say, do not fear, for now that I am your God, you'll never have any enemies. That's not what he said. Though you search for your enemies you will not find them. Those who wage war against you, wow, they're going to wage war against us, they will be as nothing at all. Why? I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you i myself will help you the book i just recently wrote is all about this this is basically the story of my christian life you get into situations you got problems you got trials you got opposition something negative is going on god shows up and he helps you and that's why i titled the book god helps those who cannot help themselves. And I've been in a few situations over my 41 years as a Christian where i faced some pretty dangerous opposition. People have tried to kill me a few times. Guess what? I'm still here. (laughs) Bottom line, God says you don't have to be afraid of anything because I'm there. I'm fighting for you. I will help you. And let me tell you something, God will help you supernaturally. You won't even be able to explain it. I share in my book one instance where somebody tried to run over me with their car, pinned me against another car. I thought, sure, my leg was broken. I thought, sure, I was never going to walk again. I expected to look down and see blood gushing out of my knee. To my utter surprise... I had no pain whatsoever in my leg, but the car that I was pinned against, the entire fender was bent in from the pressure of the car running over my leg. God will do amazing things. He says, don't be afraid. I share another instance in there where a demon possessed man kicked me in the head, knocked me to the floor, had A butcher knife in his hand and repeatedly he was trying to lower that knife into my chest and an invisible hand was restraining his arm he could not lower the knife into my chest do not be afraid do not fear I myself will help you all who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. A little further on in Isaiah chapter 43, I love these verses. I actually use this quote as the opening scripture in my book. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And notice in verse 2, I'm in Isaiah 43. When, not if, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When, not if, you walk through the fire, you will not be burned the flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Over and over, God repeats this. Fear not. Don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be your helper. I am going to fight your battles. In the days of King Jehoshaphat, When Judah was attacked from every side by enemies, they called a fast, they cried out to God for help. Notice that. They cried out to God for help, and the Lord helped them. And before they even lifted a sword or a spear, the battle was basically already won. Because here's what God told them through the prophet. In Second Chronicles 20, verse 15, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. You know, it's amazing what a difference it makes, just knowing that God is with you in a situation. When God is with you, who can be against you? What lions, what fiery furnace, what raging flood... What can overcome you or me when the Lord is with us and on our side? That's basically what it's all about. And the New Testament echoes all of these sentiments. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. This scripture was really kind of the foundation or the seed uh, behind the, the whole inspiration for the book that I just referred to, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, King James says, we boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What can the government do to me? What can ISIS do to me? What can a terrorist bomber do to me? What can a guy with a 10 or 12 inch butcher knife do to me? What can somebody do to you or me who means us harm? Yeah, they mean evil, but they need to get by someone else before they can touch you. The Lord is our Helper. I will not be afraid. And what has really inspired me through this scripture is God takes us through situations so that we will have a testimony. Notice what it says. So we can say boldly, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my Helper. Well, you can't boldly say the Lord is my helper if you haven't experienced him helping you. And you can't can't experience him helping you if you don't ever need help. So I hate to break this to you, but he's going to keep putting us in situations where we are helpless, where we need his help, and we have to fast, pray, cry out to God, Lord, help me, help me, help me. And he does. He shows up and He helps you. Then you have a testimony. Praise God. The Lord helped me today. The Lord helped me last week. He answered my prayer. He got me through another one. I will not be afraid. So trusting God, knowing that God is with us, He's always going to be our helper. He's fighting our battles. This is so important. Many, many psalms address this. And I'm going to read just three of them. But when you're going through a fearful time, when you're going through a time of battle, trial, opposition, it's good to go through the psalms, memorize some of these psalms to encourage your own heart. This is how David encouraged himself. When he was being chased by Saul, enemies were tracking him down. Here's what he said, Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. When I am afraid, notice that, he doesn't say if, when I am afraid, he admitted that sometimes he got scared, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God. "...whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me?" That last part was quoted in the verse we just read in Hebrews 13. He starts off saying, I am afraid, but he made a decision. I'm going to put my trust in God and in his word, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, and now I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And in all of these psalms, um, you've heard me say this before. I highly recommend, whenever the psalm has a title at the beginning, study that carefully, because it tells you something about what David was going through when he wrote these songs. Psalm 56 is no exception; it has a title. It says for the director of music, to the tune of da 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 of David when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. So, he's been seized by enemies who want to kill him. No wonder he says, when I am afraid, but in the midst of that trial, he proactively made a decision. I'm going to put my trust in God. I'm going to stand on his word. In God." whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I am not afraid. Two more passages quickly from Psalms, and I think we're going to have to pause here. Psalm 27, from verse 1 to 3. Psalm 27, from 1 to 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Well, there are plenty of people that we can fear. There are many people that pose very real threats to us. And let me tell you something, unless you're totally out of it, the culture we live in now in America, we talked about this on Sunday in our church service, This is a very strongly anti-Christian culture in which we live in now. The media mercilessly tears apart Christians. It's open season on any Bible-believing, godly Christian. There are many people that are opposing us now. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident." You know, I've been sharing um, the 2016 presidential uh, campaign is already very much underway, and several of the um, people who are campaigning, they are outspoken Christians. They make no bones about it. They're, They're godly, they believe in the Bible, they believe in the Word of God. Pay close attention to how Most of the media handles them and treats them. It's amazing to see the hypocrisy and the double standard in most of these news organizations like CNN, NBC, MSNBC. Oh, they are very tolerant of any other group. But a Christian? Oh, well, they're different. We can use every name in the book for them, regardless of their race or their gender. We're supposed to be so sensitive now to racial differences, gender differences, except when it's a Christian. My favorite one right now is Dr. Ben Carson. He's fearless, and they're tearing him apart every day in the media. Why? Well, he looks straight in the camera. He says, I believe in God. I believe in the Bible, I'm against abortion, I'm against homosexuality, I believe God is the creator, I don't believe in evolution. And it's driving them nuts. But look at the names they're calling him. Oh my goodness, some of the names I can't even repeat tonight, that they've called that man. Famous, world famous neurosurgeon, brilliant man, brilliant career has performed over 15,000 surgeries in his career as a neurosurgeon. But now, because he believes in God, and he dares to come out and say he believes in creation and not evolution, they've called him a moron, they've called him a nut job, and even worse names. So, don't Expect the media to treat Christians nicely. We have strong opposition in the world today. But David says, "Hmm, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And we have to pray for men like Dr. Ben Carson, to continue to boldly look right into the CNN camera and tell it like it is. Not to back down in fear, to have boldness to speak God's word. Likewise, you and I need that same boldness. We need to be bold in these last days, no compromise, no mincing of words. Tell it like it is. I believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. If you don't receive Jesus Christ and His free gift of salvation, you will go to hell, my friend. We need to tell like it is. Finally, Psalm 46. Mrs. Leach's favorite scripture. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. There's going to be trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Skip down to verse 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Fear is a very powerful enemy. It'll paralyze us. It'll shut us down. It'll shut us up. It'll torment us. It'll rob us of our faith and our confidence in God, and let me uh, remind all of us, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The enemy knows that. And so this Hittite spirit tries to attack us right where it counts, in our faith. Take away our faith and fill us with fear and unbelief. We must understand that fear and unbelief are sins, they are evil, they will take us away from the Lord and render us ineffective in His purposes. But God assures us we can overcome fear. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, don't be afraid, I will be there to help you. We'll continue next time looking at ways to overcome fear. But let's close in prayer tonight on a note of victory. Knowing that God has given us the victory, we are more than conquerors. Jesus came to rescue us from the hand of all of our enemies to enable us to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. Father, I thank You that You have not given us a spirit of fear but power, love and a sound mind. Your love, O God, drives out all fear and Jesus, You destroyed Him on the cross who had the power of death And had this power to keep mankind in bondage, in torment, and in slavery to the fear of death. You destroyed him through your death. You destroyed every work of Satan. You rescued us from the hand of all of our enemies so that we can now serve you without fear all the days of our life in righteousness and in holiness. God, I thank you for giving each and every one of us total victory over this Hittite spirit, making us bold as lions, full of faith, full of confidence in our God, having no fear of man, having no fear of what man can do to us, but fearing only our God who said he will never leave us, he'll never forsake us. Lord, bless and strengthen each one tonight through your word. Keep us under your precious blood, filled with your Holy Spirit, as we watch and pray and wait for your soon return. Bless each one. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.